0: Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. Well, I have to tell you, I read your pastor's book yesterday. I just got it yesterday morning and I just started and I thought, oh, well, I'll browse a little. I'll just just kind of peek a little, see where... Uh, Good thing I had jet lag, too. I wasn't even tired. Uh, Read all the way through it yesterday, and I'll tell you two things. Firstly, it's really an easy read. Uh, meaning that you just kind of picture yourself there the whole time that it's going along. And all of these great Bible principles that get inserted, they get inserted almost without you thinking. You're just reading a long, cool story, and then you realize, oh, wow, I just learned a whole lot right here. So that was my first thought about it. My second thought, and I told my wife this, and I told your pastor and I told Karen this as well. I said, I have some bad news for you you and I think a lot alike. (laughs) And I have it on good authority, my wife, who tells me, you don't think like any normal person. (laughs) So I don't really know what to tell you, except I... And I was at the encounter meeting that uh, we we had yesterday morning because the subject of the Holy Spirit that I know you've been discussing for the last uh, six or seven weeks, uh, totally unbeknownst to me or any direct connection... I've been feeling the same stirring for about the last two months or so that we just, it's time for us to get back and teach the church more about the work and the dynamic of the Holy Spirit. So you can imagine my excitement when I come here, I'm reading the book, talking to your pastor, learning all about what he's been talking on, and then I think, okay, I'm going to go to the encounter because I'll pick up a few little tidbits that I can then pretend were my brilliance when I go someplace else, right? And I thought, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I told my wife, I said, I cannot recall a time when I heard another minister share things out of the Word of God that was so similar to what I would have wanted to say. And I am not by that trying to uh, uh, barge in on the affection that you feel for your pastors that was so appropriately demonstrated this morning. I'm not trying to give you a claim to fame as though, yeah, your pastor and I, we've been buddies like forever. I'm just saying it isn't so often when we who travel a lot as I, as I do, it isn't so often that you encounter a, 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 a leader, and I'm guessing then a congregation with such a, a similar DNA. So I'm, that's my long way of saying, have I said good morning yet? No, well, okay. Well, never mind. We'll let that be also a good morning. And if I overlap what your pastor has been teaching you, if it feels to you just like a review, would you please just look as interested as possible while I'm while I'm I'm sharing. Now, I'm going to take a very particular angle that I understand was mentioned just a couple of weeks ago about a I'll call it a category of spirituals, a category of spirituals that doesn't get talked about very much in the body of Christ. Um, Yeah, I think our eyes are so often captured by the (laughs) big sorts of things, and praise God when he moves in a very uh, demonstrative way, you know, when the window panes kind of rattle a little bit and a preacher's leg starts starts going or something, it's like... (laughs) But the Bible has so much to say to you and to me about how we can end up becoming the most effective instruments or tools in his hands. So I'm going to talk to you about, it's not really what we would call spiritual gifts, it would be more what we would call a spiritual ministry or spiritual stations, So I'm going to take a little bit of time this morning to lay some of this out for you, reminding you all of the time that you are the apple of God's eye. And he doesn't just love you, he really likes you. And his great, great interest is to convince each of us that when he says, I want you to work with me, that I invite you to have a part of this grand redemption of the world, when he says to us that you're going to be my witnesses, it's not because he needs some work done and that's the only thing you can do, so yeah, I'm gonna put you to work. It is actually the greatest declaration that he could make that you and I are in this together and because I love you, because I value you, because I am so in love with you, I want you to get in on this work that I am doing. But most of us, when we uh, get that, that invitation, you know, to come into new life with the Lord, we are pretty well convinced that, whew, you know, I made it in, Hallelujah, I'm saved. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And well, we should be excited about that. But really, He wants that to be but the beginning of us getting an opportunity to speak into the lives of other people so that they also have this most incredible of all possible experiences. So we're gonna be looking at several Bible passages this this morning and um, shall we just start? Okay, let's just start. I'm going to invite you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and that's where we're we're going to begin. I'm not gonna take time to uh, unpack the entire chapter but I want to focus on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4, 5, and 6. Okay. So let me, if I can, I have 13 grandchildren, which is why I have to wear glasses at this stage, okay? So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. I think we've got them here on the screen. Maybe I can see that better. All right. So in the context, just before Paul has been saying this, He has said to his friends, now concerning spirituals, spirituals, a very uh, loose description, spirituals as opposed to naturals. Now concerning spirituals, I don't want you to be ignorant. And then he says, you know, before you came to Christ, before you came to serve a living God, However it was that you were being led in whatever religion that you were following, you were following idols and gods that cannot talk. But we serve a God who can talk. And, uh, and he wants to engage us in this kind of ministry. So now he begins to describe, uh, I'll just call them three categories, of different kinds of spiritual things. And uh, just as the Bible says that we are seeing through a glass darkly and and things are sort of dim, we we, we can't precisely define everything that is spiritual. The tendency that most of us have is to kind of lump all three of these categories in together and not really think so much about the difference between one and the other. And the category that gets the most conversation in our uh, discussion in the body of Christ is going to be this first one, what are often known as spiritual gifts. But let's read the scripture and see if we can't parcel it out a bit. So I just want you to know, he's saying, there are different kinds of spirituals, of spiritual gifts, but it is the same spirit who is the source of them all. And there are different kinds of service. You could substitute for the word service different kinds of ministry or different sto- sorts of stations. You know, if you go to a restaurant, uh, generally generally a, a one of the, the, the waits people is that what we say? Waitresses or waiters? Anyways, one of those who bring the food, take the order and bring the food. They are assigned to five or six tables, seven or eight tables. That is known as their station. And they serve all the people who come to that station. And this word for there are different kinds of service could be translated as different uh, assignments, different stations, or as Paul is going to use in a description that he'll he'll bring up in just a little bit, you could almost call them different body parts, like there are eyes and there are ears and so forth. So the first category, there are different uh, kinds of spiritual gifts, Uh, There are nine that are going to be listed in just a minute in in this passage. He talks about having words of wisdom. These are spiritual enablements that don't come from the natural mind that that if you have a word of wisdom for someone, you you have an understanding of what God is up to in their life. If you were to get a word of knowledge, then you uh, know a fact about them. Like you see this often when evangelists or in a healing ministry and they will say, there's someone here with a pain in their left shoulder. And, uh, and then someone said, well, we not, that, that, that's me. How did the speaker know that? Not just because you figure in a room like this, there's got to be somebody's shoulder who's not messed up and if, or is messed up. And if I just guess left, it'll probably be 50-50 chance. No, it's not a natural reasoning. He receives a sort of a revelation and he understands something. Maybe the best known of these spiritual gifts is called prophecy where you, by the, the, the Spirit of God, uh, you, you suddenly have an understanding of what God is up to in somebody's life. In fact, it says that when we prophesy and there is a person in the room that doesn't really yet have an understanding of the things of God, so many particular details about their life come to the surface that the person listening to this prophecy says, how did, how? I mean, something like that. How did you know? And because something of their heart is revealed, they fall on their knees and say, you people are people who hear from God. Prophecy is a spiritual gift. And in the second category, there are different kinds of service. Maybe the best way to describe that to you is to use the term prophet. A prophet is not the same as prophecy They sound very similar, but you get the idea that somebody is, who is a prophet, that's a role or a place that they have in the body, and chances are probably they're going to be used in prophecy more than most people. But the Scriptures also tell us you can all prophesy, but not everybody is a prophet. So spiritual gifts are, are enablements They're empowerments that you get. I I think of them as tools to use in the ministry that I have. And your ministry, whether you're a prophet, the Bible talks about mercy showers. He talks about givers, about exhorters, teachers, pastors, etc. Whatever your fundamental makeup as your ministry, it can be added to by these spiritual gifts. And so I'm going to be trying to talk about it. took me forever to say this is what I'm talking about. You might be thinking, well, would you actually begin talking about it? Well, I just want you to see the target where we're going, all right? There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. And then this last sentence, God works in different ways. A more literal translation would be to announce now this third category. There are different kinds of operations different kinds of effects, different ways in which these spirituals sort of read out or play out. Let me give you a couple of for instances of this. Uh, you know, when we think of prophecy, somebody giving a prophecy, we most often imagine a person standing up and they maybe slip into King James English if they have a penchant that way, but they don't have to. And they say, this is the word of the Lord, and they make the pronouncement, something about the future or some, something about somebody's life. But the, everybody knows they're now prophesying. That's one way that the gift, the spiritual gift of prophecy can work. But maybe you've had this experience. You're just laying your hands on somebody and you're praying nice, good prayers. You know, God, do something wonderful, bless them, etc. And then you, you feel as though you just stepped on a people mover. You just get that little... Vroom and and you're almost trying to play catch-up to this revelation or this word that you now got, and you can tell the difference between a prayer that you're coming up with in your own mind, and suddenly there is a prayer that's like a kite that is moving a little bit, and you... Does that make sense? Okay. Same gift, two operations. Two different ways that they happen. Let's take profit, for instance. Uh, prophet, as you well imagine, oftentimes gets uh, words about the future or gets an understanding of what's happening in the broader uh, arena. But did you also know that prophets have to many times sort of live out their prophetic word? If you read in the Old Testament, by the way, if you thought, oh, man, I'd love to be a prophet. Oh, please, God, give me up. You, you should read some of the things that those dear people have to do, lay on their side for hundreds of days, you know, eating food that's barbecued over cow dung. Oh, sign me up, right? (laughs) Well, if you have this ministry or this station of a prophet, you will oftentimes be living out a message that God wants to share with other people. Does that make any sense at all? I'm so glad I'm in New Zealand. I know you don't respond very much to uh, speakers, so when I say, does that make sense, and you hold still, I'm going to take that as a yes. That's a hearty, (laughs) you know, at least you're not Bulgarian. In Bulgaria, this is yes, this is no. And I, I, you know, I'm, 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 it's really hard to talk to people about the Word of God when everybody's looking at their Bible going like this, just really. Okay, my, my point is that if you have in your mind this one little way, that's prophecy. That's a word of wisdom. No, it's not. If you're very mm-mm, like this, I don't know what the Hebrew word is, but if you're like that, you're really going to struggle because this stuff is a little more fluid. It's spirituals. And the point is that it's not natural. I don't mean it's weird. And some people in the body of Christ confuse spiritual with spiritual. You know what I'm saying? It's like, ooh. It's like, don't float on me, okay? Don't float on me. No, it's not, it's not spooky. It's not strange. That's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. It must be God. That, that's really not how he wants to be known. But it's the kind of stuff that Paul says earlier in this letter, thing that the natural eye hasn't seen, the stuff that the the natural ear hasn't heard, the kinds of things that don't enter into the heart of most people, the stuff that you're tempted to look at, and it just seems to you like, wow, what's the big deal that you want to dismiss because it's so small, it's so inconsequential, in comparison with what the world would offer. Spirituals as opposed to naturals. Okay, so that's where we are, three categories, and now I'm finally going to start talking about the second of them, your ministry or your station. Okay, so to do this, whenever you talk about the Bible, you're supposed to use the Bible to talk about the Bible. Fair enough? So we're going to go all the way back to Psalm 139, Psalm 139, and we'll be looking at verses 14 and 15, Psalm 139, verses 14 and 15. Uh, By the way, if you're ever feeling lost, this is a really great psalm to read because it essentially says, even if you don't know where you are, God does, and you're only lost if the people looking for you don't know where you are. Fair enough? Okay. So he says, "This is the psalmist now." He says, "I'm going to th- give thanks to you, God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made." Best translation of that is, "Even if you have an identical twin, there ain't nobody like you. I am unique. Uh, I'm fearfully, I'm wonderfully made. I'm like a fireworks, uh, you know, and." You know how everybody, ooh, ah, ooh, no matter where you are in the world, everybody speaks the same to fireworks. Ooh, ah, that's what you are in the eyes of God. You are a unique, well, this analogy is breaking down. I don't want to say you're like a, you're an explosion in the eye of God. No, well, you get the idea. You are different, and there's nobody like you in the world. And then he goes on to say something that many of us can't say. It's part of why I feel prompted to want to talk to you a bit about your spiritual makeup, the constitution of your being. Because when we look in the mirror, and if we only look with natural eyes, we quickly size ourselves up and we can say, I'm not tall enough, I'm not this enough, I'm not that enough. And if we use natural criteria to evaluate what is really true of us, we're going to end up comparing ourselves with other people's natural stuff. And you know what I'm saying in the world of rugby? I mean, you, you have animals down here. They're, they're like like monstrosities. A guy like me is like, meh. There's just not a dream in the world. But when you know, as it's going to go on to say, that you were fashioned uniquely by God and when you realize that there is nobody just like you, then you can say, your soul can say, I know, I know that I am different and I know that God loves me. Now, the next verse is going to sound a little bit strange. So I'm, I'm going to read it because it's Bible and we always start with Bible. But then give me a couple minutes to maybe explain it. And if you think this verse is bizarre, I didn't even include the next one on the overhead. It's, it's even a little more interesting. So he says, uh, my frame, my, my constitution, my physical mm-hmm, wasn't hidden from you when I was made insecure, insecure. No, don't put those two words together. I don't know what translation this is, but make sure you keep those two words. God doesn't make you insecure. Um, My translation, do you mind if I just borrow mine? That's uh, that's true. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just having my own little moment up here. Uh, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret made in a covered place, made in a place that natural eyes can't see. He's just saying, God, you were aware of what's going on even without ultrasound. Okay? And when I was curiously or uniquely wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Now, if you just kind of read that on the surface, it sounds like we all... um, passed through some cavern where there were a bunch of dwarves and hammers and anvils and, you know, we kind of came through in the lower parts of the earth and we were ding, ding, dinged on and then slapped back into Mama's womb and then we sort of It's really not what he's saying. I know you're near Hobbiton, but but that's that's really not, uh, okay, what's going on? What he's trying to describe, uh, Jesus will use language something like this later on when he says you must be born again. And the literal translation is, you must be born from another dimension or at another dimension. So curiously, the Bible uses two metaphors to explain the difference between natural, stuff that you can see, stuff of this planet on the earth, natural, and things that are spiritual they are things that are either above at another dimension, in other words, invisible beyond the limits of this planet, or beneath, i.e., under the surface. And so what he's saying is that when I was made, It wasn't just my physical constitution that was determined. It wasn't just natural things that were woven into my soul, but God was also working spiritual qualities and entities in my very being. So we know from Scripture, right, that we're three-part beings. We are body. That's all flesh. Ain't going to be anything but flesh, and no matter how much you work it, it's still flesh. I am also soul, which is a combination of spiritual and natural. It's things like my mind, my will, my emotions. Those are very natural. They're determined, you know, by your genes and so forth. But then there's also your conscience that isn't a natural thing. It's a a spiritual thing. And among the spiritual things that get placed inside of you is this thing that we call your service, or your ministry. It is a spiritual, it's not the same as your personality. uh, Yeah, I don't know how else to say it. It's a spiritual component that exists in every single person when they were made. Now, I'm going to give you one example of this. You don't have to turn there in your Bible, but it's Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. If you want to turn, you certainly can. It's a short little verse. And it it basically says this. God is speaking to this young man, Jeremiah. And he says this. Before you were even formed in the womb, before that actual process of putting together all the whatever that gets put together that you come out, before you were formed in the womb, I called you forth as a prophet. And from this verse and several others, we learn that your spiritual service, the station, the body part that you are in the body of Christ, is not something that waits until you come to Christ before it begins manifesting in your life. Spiritual gifts, that first category, only function in someone's life after they have received Christ as their Savior and the Spirit dwells inside of them. And when they then get baptized in the Holy Spirit, those things become a little bit more active in their life. But even people who never come to Jesus have still been made with the spiritual component inside of them in exactly the same way that every person on the earth has as a third part of themselves, they have a spirit. They have body, they have soul, they have a spirit. But until they come to Christ, this spirit is dead. It's inactive. It doesn't have any life inside of it. So does that make sense? Your spirit you are given when you are are made and whether it ever comes alive depends on you coming to Christ. Your spiritual ministry is also given to you whether or not you ever come to Christ. Um, Maybe I could give you a, a, a for instance. There is a ministry called an exhorter, an exhorter. And I don't know the connotation of that word uh, here in New Zealand. In in California, if if you get exhorted, it's not usually a good thing. It's like, just got exhorted. But that's not how the Bible describes it. An exhorter is somebody who basically lets you know it's going to be okay. And usually they do so by telling you, I remember when I was in that situation. Oh, I thought I would never survive. And they tell their story but because they already lived through something that you're now living through, you're like, okay, I can do it, I can do it. An exhorter is sort of a pep talker, a a coach that says, that's right, one more, one more, you can do it. And because they say you can do it, you decide not to believe yourself that's telling you, loser, and you decide to believe them, okay, okay, okay. And they really are very inspirational and often will have their before stories and their after stories. So let's say an exhorter never got saved. What do they do for a living? They make info commercials. <laughs> and there's just something about them when they tell you that, you know, sucking on five carrots a month will, will you know, restore your hair or something like that. Forget logic, but you just, okay, I'll, I'm going to do it. See. <laughs> That's just how they were made. And your ministry assignment, your spiritual makeup, it it has a built-in effect on people. So if you are a teacher, let's say that's your gift mix, your, your, your assignment, not your vocation necessarily, But if you have that spiritual ministry inside of you, people intuitively want to start learning a little bit from you. It's not a big deal. It's not not so pronounced. But when you function according to your design, it not only is hugely, hugely satisfying to you, but it also becomes powerfully Helpful and instructive to other people. And I'm going to take you to that dynamic in just a, a few minutes. But I want to finish with this, uh, this notion that you were designed by God in the womb, both naturally and spiritually. Now, when you get born as a physical person, not when, I mean, you already are, obviously, and if you're not yet, I don't even want to talk to you. Okay. <laughs> When you get born, I mean, it's not like you come out ready to run a marathon. You know, you don't even move. You're kind of just worthless. I'm not worthless. Cute. Cute. That was the word I meant. Cute. Yeah, cute. You're just cute. Okay. I got to retrain my language because I'm going home to uh, Mimi. That's what the kids call my wife. Okay. Anyway, you grow and learn to walk over a period of time. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature before God and man. Jesus himself, though he was the son of God, in both the physical, natural aspects of his being, because he was the son of man, and also in the spiritual aspects of his being as son of Christ, or as son of God, he grew and developed. So what I'm talking about is maybe another way of describing what it means to become a mature believer. And unfortunately, the church that gets so, um, what's the word, imbalanced by legalism and religion, it has chopped down the sense of what it could really mean to be more mature in Christ. It's chopped it down to just don't chew tobacco and don't slash tires as you walk by them just sort and by the way if you do chew tobacco i recommend that you stop and leave the tires alone it's it's you know morality is a great thing it's designed by god to do you do us good but i promise you this a great and mighty god doesn't redeem all of us so that we can just be good and so my christian life is boring this is why a lot of people don't like going to church. Why a lot of people don't really, no, oh, yeah, I've been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to heaven. So what? Because they don't understand that this great and glorious God has designs on your life. And he wants you and me to be everything that he intended for us to be. We get to learn how to function better and better in the gift mix and the assignment that we we have. Okay, let me, if I can, take you back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. After the verses that I have just read, and I don't think we have this on the screen uh, for you, but I'll summarize a whole chunk of verses that begin in verse 7 and go all the way through verse 27. Okay, this whole portion of 1 Corinthians 12 is now the Apostle Paul telling us, look, there are these three categories of spirituals. There are what we know as spiritual gifts on the one hand. There are these spiritual stations or assignments or body parts on another. And there are different ways in which these can kind of interact with one another and different ways that they manifest. And the big chunk of of time in chapter 12, uh, Paul is trying to say, hey, look. This is God's design that every one of us is so wonderfully unique that there is no one person in the body of Christ who can say, yeah, I'm kind of multi-gifted. I got them all, baby. And you just kind of sit there and enjoy yourself because I am mega-gift man, you know. (laughs) Uh, We're not, the body is all these parts, not just one. He says, think about it. If the whole body was an eyeball, come on. But sometimes, and I I would maybe have to confess on behalf of of preacher people, sometimes unintentionally normal people can be left with the impression that, well, nobody needs me. I'm not really that spiritual anyway. And as long as we have a few really spiritual people, uh, okay. Hmm? Hmm? No, Paul is saying, come on, everyone, we need you all. And it can happen again in the body of Christ. It's like the eyeball says out loud, whoa, did you see that? And the ear is like, what, 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 what? And the eyeball says, come on, idiot, open up a little bit. It's right there. And the ear is like, oh, but I don't see it, I don't see it, I don't see it. And the eyeball decides, you know, I don't really think you serve any purpose at all. And if we could just get rid of you and replace you with another of me, whoa, we would be like Frogman or something, right? Have eyeballs out my ears here. We don't really need you. And more than we realize, it's the temptation of us as individual people either to decide nobody needs me because I'm not like those people that I admire, Or to say, I don't need anybody else because they're obviously not gifted as me. (laughs) It's actually one of the dumbest, thank you for not introducing me in a dumb uh, manner, Chris, to say, oh, oh, he's a really gifted member of the body of Christ. Whatever. Everybody is a gifted member of the body of Christ. The problem is, we don't have eyes to see what's spiritual, and we tend to only see what's spectacular. Now, I'm from California, but church ain't Hollywood. And the whole bent of this letter is basically to say if the world is impressed, God's not. Okay, he also says it's really rude. He said it, not me. I'm just, I'm just scripture. Okay, let me make my point of how absolutely unspectacular the body of Christ is. Just look around. <laughs> I give it, I give you exhibit A, B, C, D, E, F. G. <laughs> okay, is there any doubt in your mind that... Either he's a really not-so-clever God or he's got an angle which is to make use of beggars and losers to accomplish some really amazing things. I'm just asking you to follow the logic for a little bit. If he has chosen you and you aren't much to write home about, I mean, he loves you, okay, so that's great. But take away his love. Take a peek at yourself. There's not really a whole lot to be real excited about. Why would you imagine that if he chose you because you're sort of not really very much, that he would suddenly want to turn you into something that is so much? If you're looking for spiritual gifts, you got to squint because they're so quiet and small, and unspectacular on the surface. But like the mustard seed that Jesus talked about, when we learn to function in these barely visible um, things of the kingdom, amazing things end up happening to people around us. Now, tonight, I'm going to go into a little more detail, but. But lest I get sidetracked tonight, as I have been somewhat sidetracked today, I want to take you to the point of everything that I'm going to say. So if you decide not to listen or come back tonight, somebody says, what was the guy talking about? I'm going to give you the verse that I'm talking about. So let's jump ahead to Ephesians chapter 4. That that could be a fun sermon, huh, where you just come and and, in two minutes, the preacher says, here's the point, see ya. I don't think I'm capable of preaching such a a thing. So, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, we're going to just kind of yank verse 16 out of the context. He's talking about making sure that you don't get misled by all these fancy, tricky doctrines that are out there. Just stick with Christ, stick with Jesus, stick with Jesus. And then it picks up the sentence, from whom, Christ, the all the body fitly framed and knit together through that which every joint supplies. Okay, that's, well, I'll read the whole sentence. According to the proper measure of each several part, Make the increase of the body unto the building up of itself in love. Whew, man. The Apostle Paul writes some seriously long, confusing sentences. May I simply translate this for you? Every member of this congregation has been uniquely designed and positioned and according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, has been placed in the body according to the will and the plan of God. So good for you that you thought, oh yeah, that's the church I want to go to. Good for you that you thought that. But God is the one who places in the body just as he wills. And within this community, this this body of believers, or whatever body of believers you're a part of, you have a very unique configuration. And the way that the whole body can build itself up and really become a, quote, strong church is not how much money people give. A really strong church is determined by the willingness of every member of that body to be who God designed them to be. Because there is a way that you work, and you work differently than other people work. But chances are, you don't think very much about how you work. And if you're somebody who has a gifting of like, a, I mean, just a total server, it's one of these assignments, you're a total server and people say, thank you so much, oh, I can't believe what you've done, thank you, thank you. You hear that and you're like, what's the big deal? Doesn't everybody do this? Actually, no. But you have been living with yourself your whole life. And Jesus says, prophets have no honor in their own town among their own people. And you are your own neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? So when you look at yourself, you're thinking, nothing. But if you learn to function according to God's design, uh, the language that's used here in the original, uh, it, it uses the word choreographed. It's like this glorious, glorious arrangement and almost a dance where everyone has their step, everybody has their place on the stage and when all of us line up according to God's design in our life the whole body gets fit together, held together and it begins to build itself up in love. So I can tell you this in in, in closing it's an old preacher trick I say in closing and I could go on indefinitely but I won't Okay, but <laughs> It's just really hard to communicate to people how desperately God loves them. He has no rejects. He has no also rans. He has no one that he only allows in because they're hanging on to someone's coattails. He adores you. And any of us who've had children, sometimes those those kids go through interesting seasons, as we did, but we don't remember that. And maybe the best way to describe the assignment of a parent over the long haul is never to lose sight of who their daughter really is. And sometimes children, as they get older, kind of forget themselves. They lose themselves. And it is the greatest privilege that we have as a parent, I will not forget who you are. And no matter what imposter ever shows up, no matter what wayward impulses and personality ever tries to masquerade with your life, I know you and I love you. Not this bogus imitator. I mean, I'll be nice to it, but I don't love it. That's how God feels. He knows you and he loves you. And everything that I'm talking about is just to help you get a sense of how wondrously and how fearfully you have been made so that you could be the apple of his eye, the one that he made. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.